You are listening to a podcast about technology and innovation in the energy and oil and gas markets at the ONS Conference 2018. This is Sylvia Serres. Hello and welcome to a podcast about the future of energy uh, recorded at the ONS Conference in Stavanger. I'm Sylvia Serres and my guest is Babur Ozden, the founder and CEO of MANA. Hi Sylvia. Hi. It's very nice to have you here. Um, as a as a techie, I'm excited to talk to a person who also develops deep, deep technology from uh, from Silicon Valley uh, for a relatively conservative global industry such as oil and gas. Can you explain to us a little bit about what you do? Um, Mana develops a software platform that enables its customers uh, to build artificially intelligent capabilities into their decision-making systems. Lots of very difficult big words. Yeah, big so words. tell us what that means. So that means in a large oil and gas company uh, converting every day-to-day operational decisions supported by AI-capable recommendations that are automatically generated by the system, helping their petrotechnical experts or their traders or their HR departments to make better decisions. So basically you put on lots of sensors on production equipment or on distribution equipment or on you work actually, processes? You, you actually or? don't need to put a single additional sensor. There is abundant data already. There's no, there's no new data is needed to be able to take advantage of an AI capability and generate results. So, so tell us, but how, how, does, how does this AI figure out what to do? So allow me to first define what AI is, and I'll define it in its most literal sense, in its most core and fundamental sense. First of all, it's not a technology. You can't buy it. You have to develop it. It's a capability. It's basically a business capability that you need to use your own expertise, your own data, your own people, and some vendors' tools to build that AI infrastructure. A system is AI-capable if and only if it does four certain things. One, it needs to become self-aware of its environment. Second, that it could reason against it algorithmically. Third, it can take decisions, actions, or make recommendations. Fourth, it has the ability to learn the outcomes of those decisions or actions. The fourth is generally known as the feedback loop in an AI world. So any system that can display these characteristics without much or no human help is an AI capable. So So, where does this help? Give us uh, a couple of examples. Definitely. I'll give you an example. Uh, Let's say um, you are a company that's shipping parts to your asset sites for installations, maintenance, repairs, and inspections, and you have one out of three parts sent to an uh, operationally never used. You've got $100 million of losses a year, inventory losses. And how can you use an AI-capable recommendation system to change this? Inventory losses, basically things disappear. Yeah, things never used, stays stays in the shelves where they are sent. Uh, But think of the workflow in an operational uh, company, industrial company, an electronic ticket comes in front of a field technician describing the job that needs to be done somewhere on the field. Uh, And based on the type and the nature of that job, the individual, the technician, then makes a decision to which parts they will need to do the job. So it is at that moment you can influence that decision 
uh, with an AI-capable recommendation telling the individual which parts they actually need. Mm. Uh, so that decision, that recommendation could, uh, in an organization with 1,000 field technicians doing this every day, it trickles down to several hundred million dollars a year saving. So this is just an, 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 an example. You can imagine a refining situation where a refinery may be spending annually several hundred million dollars to do maintenance uh, to clean up for sulfur corrosion every year or certain uh, frequency. Uh, you can actually reduce that corrosion rate by helping your crude traders and crude flex engineers to be able to talk to one another more uh, algorithmically so that the perfect crude properties could be selected for a specific refinery to reduce the sulfur corrosion. Is this predictive maintenance? Or this is uh, this is just very efficient maintenance. Uh, so this is. Can you predict uh, the uh, areas of corrosion even before they it's, it's become of course, a problem? Every AI, every AI capability in its nature is predictive and prescriptive. Mm -hmm. So it predicts and it prescribes on on that prediction. So whether it's for maintenance-related AI decision or if it is trading-related, some of our customers, for example, uh, use uh, MANA, uh, built AI capabilities to improve their LNG traders uh, so that they can... Uh, Guessing where the prices guess, will be They can better. guess, they can, they, they use, uh, they, they, they guess the oil and energy demand on countries like South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, etc., and then bet on a certain price. So that involves no maintenance. Again, but it is these are all frequent human decisions across the board, uh, and then you can influence these decisions by giving these decision makers, they are your subject matter experts, things that systems can learn from data. What about HR? Um, should be. Definitely, organizations. I've not seen a case yet, mm -hmm. but I see no reason why not in an environment where you are, uh, you have, particularly if companies in the in oil and gas space, in areas they may have difficulty finding the the young talent. Uh, you know, oil and gas industry at one time I hear was top hiring, uh, top destination, and it's losing that. Uh, 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 capacity and just to learn why and attract people. Definitely. I, I think oil and gas industry has an image problem that they simply do not want to always, uh, what shall I say, admit to, <clears throat> as in they are a very efficient and a very lucrative industry in many ways. But the way that they talk about the urgency around climate and innovation is not always very convincing. Um, when it comes to HR, my impression is that very often it's used as a controlling body rather than a develop, developmental body. While developing the talents you already have might be an extremely um, efficient way of applying yeah. mm -hmm. your HR intelligence to a company. I'm, I'm just curious what you think about um, the division of work between these AI tools that you create and the humans who used to do them. Will they do them better or will they become less necessary? As an AI practitioner, what's your take on yeah. the future of work? I mean, AI, the outcome of AI um, has two different um, expectations. And the same company, both are applicable. Uh, one uh, is the use of AI to take the human out of the loop of decision making. 
uh, could happen, uh, particularly happens in what's called at the decisions that are taken in real time close to the assets, real time decisions. And then the other is, is the um, augmented AI or assistive AI, where AI is used to make your subject matter experts smarter, mm. uh, make better decisions faster. So I think it is in that respect, it's not just AI, it's the role of technology. It makes some jobs and becomes irrelevant. Machines and computers and some other things do it, not because of AI. AI does accelerate that. And some jobs, technology uh, helps people to do their jobs better. So that paradigm continues with or without AI. So which jobs do you think will be the interesting ones when we have these really good tools at hand? I think, it's just to give you an, an analogy, a good example will be look at marketing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what was marketing and how it's done now? Uh, marketing today is absolutely data-driven. It's almost like a fine, running a finance organization. Uh, but marketing in the past was uh, a very different uh, approach. There was a creativity component, there was a media component, there was X, Y, Z, and you have, you have specializations in that respect. Today, uh, marketing is all data, and, 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 uh, and a marketeer needs to understand how to use data to be efficient in what they do. So any, any job in an oil and gas industry, in any part of the integrated company, is going to be the same thing. People who would excel and the jobs and roles will excel, those people who could actually rely on vast quantities of data. I um, I also work in finance and I'm smiling because uh, I was thinking, yeah, first it becomes very data driven and then it becomes very compliance driven. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the corollary, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we are trying to control the beast and, and I am really not sure how easy it is for controls once it becomes super smart. Um, no one knows. That's the beauty of it <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and the horror of it. Yeah. Listen, tell us a little bit about how does this AI thing work in your case? What, what, what happens be, behind the scenes? So behind the scenes, first of all, um, and, and for an AI-capable application, uh, at the end it's a software. Um, and for that Meaning code and code. algorithms. Yeah, code. Mm -hmm. uh, is somebody needs to write an AI-capable application for that application to do something. And um, uh, you need uh, first to develop that capability, that application. And developing um, involves uh, um, training your AI-capable app on some significant amount of historical data. So there is the training part, uh, the development part, and then uh, testing part. Uh, um, in all these parts, the most critical part for adoption, so um, you will probably ask me a question, is oil and gas is quick enough to adopt this kind of technologies? Uh, and then I want to answer that or give you a, an answer early on. This testing part, mm -hmm. where a system is built, uh, now it's going to be tested in a limited deployed somewhere. At the end, the end user is subject matter experts. So their cultural acceptance of a system telling them what to do previously, that they made that decision, is the most important adoption stage. Uh, people, Basically that the humans agree hum with the human, AI. Humans not only agree, but humans need to be comfortable that 
something is telling them what to do mm. in the situation. But eventually, the human is in the driver's seat. They will make that decision. So we see, uh, we see that it depends on department to department. So you can't even talk of one big company, their adoption pace. It depends from department to department. And believe it or not, it depends on a single human being who wants to use it or wants to say no to it. I'm and convinced, actually, that everything in this world depends on individual oh yeah, human of course, beings. And of course. At, a, at a large scale and at a small scale. Of course. And in between. Uh, so, so still, um, one of my things about AI is that uh, I think you said something very important now I'd like to dig into a little bit more. Um, I think the interface and the process of, of, of interaction between the human and the system will be super important for people understanding what assisted AI is. Yeah. Because the system does not only recommend you, you know, do 20% more of that or cut out that third step or drop that ingredient, it should give you alternatives. Of course. With some consequences. And then if you understand that you, you can choose between those two yeah. paths of optimization, it's still your human ethical judgment, ability to solve dilemmas. That's the interesting yeah. way to use the AI. Yeah. And of course, uh, well, well, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt no, no, uh, your please. question. And a well thought out of um, um, AI capable application does not spit out one answer. Mm. It gives, because in our business world, there's, there's no black and white. The things are not uh, one way or the other. There are different, multiple ways doing something. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and the application or AI will recommend uh, multiple recommendations, and it will say why it's recommending, and it will give an, a human decision maker an opportunity to simulate each if you were to take this, what would happen? If I were to take this recommendation, what would happen? So it's not only recommending, but it's also providing a means to simulate if you take one of those recommendations, what the outcome may look like. So and, 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 a properly designed AI system needs to provide multiple recommendations and, and, and people make the choice among them. I think of AI as not better brains, but better glasses. Yep. And then, you know, but, but why, why did you choose oil and gas as your industry of choice? It chose us. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we started MANA uh, six years ago, in our first one and a half year, uh, we were chasing uh, large organizations in multiple different industries. So we were, we wanted to see where it sticks. So we were uh, pitching mana to banks, insurance firms, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, oil and gas companies, manufacturers, etc. Um, and something in the middle of 2014, something started to happen. We just pay attention. For the first time, we were being chased. And it was all coming out of oil and gas. And, and nobody at mana knows anything about oil and gas. So I learned... Uh, about oil and gas in the last three years. Uh, Why were you chased? Was it the AI uh, hype or was it, it is, was it an it oil was, price? Or? It, it was oil price related um, pressure that uh, uh, caused some of the large oil and gas companies uh, look to use their data in ways that are fundamentally different than they do traditionally to see if they can find uh, dramatic uh, reductions in their cost and improvements in efficiency. 
So that was a very conscious going out and looking for, okay, we, to an, to an oil and gas company doing, let's say, an upstream part, uh, you've got oil and gas to drill, you've got data to drill. You can, you can drill both. Uh, you, you have richness in both sides. So when I believe when the oil prices were pretty high, there was no time or energy uh, or need to be efficient or do things in a different ways. So that's how we, how we noticed um, interest in oil and gas. But would you say, we even say that uh, data is the new oil, so you're you leaving that. Um, but so this is driven really by a need for efficiency. Of course. It's a new operational hygiene. Yeah. And now we're looking at it from the other angle here. We are at the ONS, and much of this international oil and gas conference is about sustainability and innovation. And we hear about the 17 SDGs, Sustainability Development Goals, um, the kind of the, the homework we've, the world has been given by the UN. And what fascinates me is that, you know, some of these SDGs are um, conflicting with each other. You can't have it all at the same time. Uh, you can do some improvements in some areas, but um, so better process efficiency, better innovation, better partnerships um, can help uh, at the better bottom line, but not necessarily always for a better climate. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, AI has to optimize some goals. What's the goal that you give to your AI system to, to, to improve? Is it the bottom line? But of course, who is the master of that AI system that they decide what's to optimize for? But AI could be smarter than that. And uh, we argue, uh, mm. this is it's still at an argument level, we are the, the practitioners of the um, AI uh, capabilities and the people who actually understand the AI phenomena from its um, uh, fundamentals and from its mathematics is that if you, if you want AI to be able to consider all optimization uh, weights, AI needs to be able to see all of the data. And I'll, this is the radical part comes of it. So if you are in a single company, you want to use AI to make local decisions that are globally optimized, meaning within the same company, your AI app, mm. for one thing, is actually reading data from all of your departments. Now that's a radical way of looking at it. But that's the whole idea of AI, is that make a local decision with global implications. Um, so if you want to do the same thing for our planet as an industry, the theory says that everyone puts their data openly somewhere. It's simple. Or into Google. <laughs> Either either in somewhere open or in Google uh, or or some consortium, and then we'll get into yeah. political discussions. Yeah, yeah. Also but there. but but, it, uh -huh. but that's that's the premise mm -hmm. uh, the premise of AI. And, and let me give you an example: uh, what capability uh, AI capability could deliver? Think of company Amazon.com, their re online retail arm. So if when you and I shop on physical retailers, you go to a pharmacy, pharmacy knows only your pharmaceutical purchases. You go to a grocery store, they know the tomatoes and, and the yogurt you buy. Then you go to a furniture store, they only know you. 
uh, from there. But Amazon knows you end to end because it, it sees the whole world of retail like in one integrated, one big data source. So that can optimize. When you're about to buy something local with Amazon, it's globally optimizing that choice and learn, learning what else can it do for you down the road. So the same thing, that's AI's number one principle, uh, principle is that the more siloed you are, the less of an effect that you'll have with AI. Mm. Can I ask you, so now you sell basically optimization of processes, different kinds of processes, based on understanding of the meaning of those processes to these oil and gas companies. What's your uh, ultimate dream? What's your dream project? What's the big problem you'd like to solve for these guys? Um, the, the, the big problem that I'd like to be able to solve is that just using their data, they should be able to add uh, another six to ten billion dollars a year just in net profits, just using data, that they're not making that money. So I'm talking net profits after everything. So that should be the outcome of it. That can can you use one software technology to do your AI work? And AI's direct impact is measured in net profits and billions of dollars. Why, why is there such a big effect? Because there is so much waste, basically, in the um, processes? So if you take, if you take that, so let's, let's say an, 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 oil, an oil, oil and gas company, say the size of Econor, uh, would make about 100,000 important day-to-day -day decisions by about 20,000 people. So every single one of those decisions could be AI recommended and improved. So if you can make that such mass improvement, about 20%, 30% of the quality, each of those 100,000 daily decisions, the outcome would be measured in billions of dollars. So we're not talking about improving just one decision group somewhere. We're talking the entire organization. There's been quite a lot of discussion at the conference in um, more or less uh, fundamental transition that many of these oil and gas companies they are becoming hybrid companies where renewables are coming into the mix at some level. Can you um, assist that transition in some way with your tools? Um, the, the new things would not be a good place for AI. Mm -hmm. The reason is that AI needs some historical precedent so it can learn from it. Um, if something very new that has very little um, history or very little operational history or very little economical value generation history, that's usually not a great place to apply a general purpose AI because it cannot, algorithms have no place to learn. Um, so I think my question would be... Not enough data, basically, enough data, in the new stuff. Not enough data, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what is the, the the right way to sell AI and and all these new kinds of tools in in a traditional industry like this? What's the adoption game? The best way to sell AI to say you're not even to include the word in your marketing gimmicks. Don't even call it what you're selling is AI. Why not? It's just been around since 1960s. So there's you think nothing new about it. People have been disappointed it. a few times. It's, it's, it's nothing to be disappointed about. It's just uh, um, 
there's really nothing that new about it. Mm. Um, what happened is that few developments made not possible the good old AI algorithms could run cheaper, faster, mm. and could do more stuff. So I think I think the real the best way to sell here is not the idea of AI, but the idea of a large integrating company like Econor to have the mind, mental readiness to say all my data is available all of my people. Mm. Rather, and maybe even all of my partners? All my partners. Uh, rather than mm. uh, only drillers see the drilling data, finance sees the only this mm. kind of data. You, if you really want to take full-blown capability of AI, as I said, it's not a technological innovation, nor a technological capability. It's a business thinking. Lift up the silos and then run a, build AI-capable applications. We are approaching the end of our time, and I have a couple of questions I'd really like to um, ask you now. One is, I've been on the board of a couple of energy companies, and one of the quotes that I think I'll take um, to my grave with me is, you know, Sylvia, well, I'm the digital alibi, and they say, well, Sylvia, you see, we are actually a very conservative industry. How do you create the right sense of urgency? So not, I'm not asking you how you sell. But how do you, how do you, you know, in, in, the, in this battle between the old and the new stuff, it's always the old stuff that wins and short term versus long term. And so how do you create enough of an urgency in a reasonably wealthy company um, to, to make time and to make space for fundamental innovations in their processes? Um. Again, um, what I see among my customer base, um, it is very hard to generalize a, a company like Econor or Shell, innovative or not. In some areas, they are superbly innovative. You know, they're cutting edge. In certain areas, they rather be followers. And it's an interesting, if you take such a very large company, um, you would find that in some of their applications of technology, they want to be in the bleeding edge. And some, again, they rather be. So it's very hard to be in the same company. I come back to the one thing, really, particularly coming from U.S., coming from uh, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, or known as cliche Silicon Valley, is... Uh, it's really an individual's matter. A CEO mm. can make the difference. A division head can make the difference. At the end, we believe an individual. An individual carries the flag and, and pulls it through. I think it's no matter how much a vendor or a board or some group of people could say, at the end of the day, it's one individual saying that, I'm convinced I'm going to do this for my company. And when that happens, things just move very quickly. So finally, what would be your main advice to people in oil and gas companies who think that we should learn more about AI and figure out where it can be useful to us? Where, where does one start? Um, one, one starts basically hiring people who knows what it is. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't know. Uh, uh, you should never expect people in your payroll knows what it is. That would be a fallacy. 
So you need to, if if they knew what it was, you would have already have AI systems today. So it'd be, and and one should also not expect that the vendors that they are already be in relation for a decade or longer is AI vendors. They are not. If they were, they would have already deployed AI systems. So I would look for uh, bringing some people that actually knows what AI is and start talking to vendors whose lifeblood is AI, mm. like Mana instead of IBM, mm -hmm. if, you know, so. Very cool. Um, what do you think about the conference so far? This is my second time coming. Okay. So I loved the first time. First time it was myself, and this time we came with my six of my colleagues. So I said, guys, this place is great. This, this is year, where it is. <laughs> this is this is happening. This year we're going as a team. Mm -hmm. So Azita and five of our uh, colleagues joined us this year, and our first day is great. So having a great time. Excellent. I hope you enjoy the rest of your conference, and I really am grateful for the time that you spent with us. Pleasure meeting you, Sylvia. Thank you. And thank you for listening. This was the technology podcast from the ONS 2018.